It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get right through now, it. the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show this uh Happy Star Wars Day, or I guess I should just say, May the 4th be with you. And uh, I thought it was uh, kind of appropriate to mash up science, science fiction, and uh, some old-time radio for today's uh, edition. If you're fans of the Star Wars uh franchise i guess or or the big bang theory television show you should enjoy the three authors i have scheduled for today starting out in the first hour with uh, claudia kalb who is a uh, national geographic uh, contributor she's also a journalist and the author of the new york times bestseller andy warhol was a hoarder she was on the show when that book came out but she has a new book that looks at the arc of genius why do prodigies reach extraordinary heights in childhood while others peak decades later the book is called spark and then we're going to have uh the tom sumner program studio players with uh, a little trip down radio uh memory lane with a recreation of uh, uh flash gordon 
and we'll hear that uh, coming up toward the end of this first hour. And then uh, a new book, Chasing the Ghost, by Leonard Cole, looks at no, um, Nobelist Fred Rains and the Neutrino. Now that that one goes a little over my head, but uh, it's it's interesting, and Leonard Cole has a great way of explaining all this stuff, as he does in his book Chasing the Ghost. And then in the third half of our three-hour tour, another Rick Riordan presents author Gracie Kim, talking about her book. It's uh, part of the. It's a gifted clans novel. It's called The Last Fallen Star, and. Uh, polls uh, from uh, Korean mythology. So, all interesting stuff and, and all sort of related to this whole Star Wars day. May the 4th be with you. Uh, so let's get right into it with Claudia Kelb. And welcome back everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My uh, guest this hour has been on the show before. Um, with uh, her book, which is uh, now a New York Times best-selling uh, uh, offering. Uh, and, and I was looking for the title here, and it was... Oh, yeah, Andy Warhol was a hoarder. And she has a new book with National Geographic. Uh, she uh, works with them uh, periodically, as well as uh, being an award-winning uh, author and journalist who reports on health, science, and human behavior. And she has had uh, stories for cover stories for National Geographic, but also uh, she was a senior writer at Newsweek. And uh, she has this this new book that's uh, <laughs> got a similar cover to the uh, Andy Warhol book, and we'll we'll find out about that um, in in just a moment. Uh, with the author of, and I want to get the uh, I want to get the title right because it's a little bit long. Spark: How Genius Ignites from Child Prodigies to Late Bloomers, by Claudia Kelb, who joins me by phone. Hi, Claudia. Welcome back. Hi, Tom. It's so nice to be back. Thank you. Um, now I, I got to ask you about the cover because when I first looked at it, I thought, wait a minute, no, this is the Andy Warhol book. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it's another partnership with a wonderful illustrator, Alison Broom, who um, does these whimsical illustrations of of people and wonderful faces. And so, we decided we should we should go back to Alison oh, and, and create and a similar. And and that's a a great idea because the book really is compelling because of the cover. Yes, it really lightens it up and energizes the cover in a way that is just wonderful. And and it also sort of promises that maybe there's a little tongue-in-cheek in the telling of these stories? Well, you know, I think that I see the drawings as sort of whimsical and fun and energetic, and that's um, a piece of the, the, the stories. I mean, there really are true and honest stories of people's lives and, and the moments of discovery in their lives, and I feature these. It kind of went back to the Andy Warhol format of short biography as a lens to understanding human behavior, and in this case, genius of some form. Um, and so I have these 12 figures plus a um, bonus third in Leonardo da Vinci. Well, this is um, fascinating to me because I'm always curious about the creative process. 
and where that comes from and can it be taught and all of that. And the thing that's interesting about this book is that it, it really highlights the fact that this is not age dependent. People don't, uh, you know, just they're not necessarily born, you know, inventing the light bulb and then they just continue to improve <laughs> on their discoveries. Right. It happens at different times in life. Is there is there something about the Eureka moment that these people share in common regardless of when in life their big accomplishments occurred? That's a good question. You know, I think in some cases it really is kind of like a Eureka moment where it's um, something that just happens. For example, in the midlife section, I talk about Julia Child's first French food meal in, in uh, France and how she's 37 years old and she's never had this kind of smells of French cooking and the taste and what it looks like. And it is kind of like a light bulb moment for her. Um, or Alexander Fleming, who I look at, um, who discovers penicillin at 47, and it's kind of a, a light bulb moment. But even still, whenever there are these light bulb or eureka moments where you think this is it, this is my moment of discovery, there's always a, a journey that leads up to it. Um, if you think about Fleming, he studied and researched and was looking for something that might work against infection, and he had made other discoveries, and so he was prepared when he saw what was going on in his petri dish um, with this mold. He was prepared to say to himself, that looks like something I need to pay attention to. Um, in other people, it's not as much a eureka moment as, for example, the prodigies I profile in Spark from Picasso, Shirley Temple, Yo-Yo Ma. They were early on found some kind of passion that they were good at with the encouragement, of course, and the cultivation from adults in their lives um, and then continued to work at that. So it's less of a light bulb moment in the prodigy case as a as an early ability that shows up. Um, but in every case, it's also hard work. I think that's really important to emphasize. But you also talk about late bloomers. Right. And I love the late bloomers. These are people who, I kind of define them as people in their um, sort of 50s and beyond. It could be 60s, 70s, 80s. And these include Eleanor Roosevelt, uh, Peter Mark Roger, who created the thesaurus. We, we know him as Roger's thesaurus, but he was a scientist and a um, doctor for his entire career before that for decades and only turned to words in his 70s. It was a childhood passion of words that he went back to in his 70s. And then Grandma Moses, who's just the sort of ultimate late bloomer, whose first solo art show was when she was 80, kicking off an international right. career for the next 20 years. Um, so yes, I, it, it's my goal in, the, in Spark was to sort of show the range of ages at which these moments of discovery can happen. And is there, um, you know, the book is called Spark, and it's how genius ignites. Is there a, a clear spark, a clear ignition for the people that you selected for the book, Claudia? I feel like there, you know, in each case, there's some um, moment in life at which something transformative happens. So if you think about um, Yo-Yo Ma, I mean, he played for President Kennedy when he first came to the United States as an immigrant with his family. And it sort of, I think, it, think of it as a moment in which his, his career becomes propelled the way it did. 
um, Bill Gates, you know, discovers computers as a teenager. Um, that's a moment in his life which, which defines the rest of his life. Um, I, I profile, you know, as I mentioned, Julia Child's meal. Maya Angelou, the writer, you know, it's a moment in her life after doing lots of other things. I kind of see her life as a zigzag until she gets to the age of 40 and she writes her first memoir, Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, which is a bestseller and is still seen as one of the most important works um, in literature. And that's at 40. And so that's a moment in her life. So I feel like there are moments that are very different. And they're not all light bulb moments, but they're moments of change, of discovery, of something that fuels that person's life and then goes on to define that person's life. How often does it happen with someone like a Julia Child, for example? Wasn't she some kind of a, a undercover operative or or some kind of a spy or something? And and, <laughs> and then all yeah, of a sudden, like, her life completely changes. Yes. Well, I mean, she did work for the government, and she was overseas in, in Asia. Um, she wasn't really a spy. She was doing a lot of... Um, I mean, she had she had very private affairs of government work that she could not talk about, but um, she was was doing the work there when she met her husband Paul. And so, in this case, it was just serendipity that they meet overseas. In I believe they met in India, traveled to China. She starts tasting food, and then he gets an assignment in France, and that's what takes her over there to France and um, gives her that moment. But she was somebody who said she always loved to eat. She was very tall, and, and she never had to worry about um, eating too much. But she never had a necessarily a desire to think about food as a career, to think about cooking. And it was only at 37 when she had that meal that she started thinking about it as something she really thought she could love and pursue. So, um, yeah, she did something very entirely different, but it was never her passion. The, the government job was sort of a job that just, you know, by sheer luck, she meets Paul and goes to France. <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 I'm sorry to keep zeroing in on uh, Julia Child, but um, not only was I a fan of, of her French cooking show, but I, I've had a lot of great meals in my life, Claudia, and I don't ever remember sitting there eating a meal and thinking, I want to cook stuff like this on TV. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. I think it was, you know, for her, the way she describes it, you know, the smells of the buttery shallots, you know, oh, and the, yeah. the texture of the fish she had in that meal and that one restaurant, you know, everything was new for her and France sort of awakened these senses and, and she needed something to do while he was working as um, in the foreign service. And so she took this on, you know, she signed up for a cooking class. And then she just worked, you know, lucked into this relationship with a couple of friends who were French women who were working on a cookbook and needed editing help. They didn't, English wasn't their first language. She took this job on and she took it on with a kind of relentlessness that um, everybody was amazed by. I mean, she tested every recipe like a scientist. And where does that come from? I mean, we don't really know. She just, she just did that. And that book <laughs> elevates her to the French chef. But she was 50 when she did the French chef for the first time on TV. And I think that's amazing. That was her big thing. And she that was 50 and it was, you know, it was her kind of her middle-agedness that she embraced and that people really loved about her on that show. More about the arc of genius with journalist and author Claudia Kalb 
straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-Double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You know, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. 
and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More about the arc of genius with journalist and author Claudia Kalb straight ahead. When you talk about Yo-Yo Ma and and his ear for music, um, you know, and, and by the age of seven, he was performing for President Kennedy. How much, in in the cases that you looked at, Claudia, how how much did external forces influence the the path forward for some of these people, and how much of it was internal? Like in Yo-Yo Ma's case, you do a command performance for the president, eh, people are going to return your calls. Right. Um, yes, and you know, I think I need to correct myself. I think I said ten earlier when I first talked about him playing for. President Kennedy was seven, as you're, you're correctly stating, which is in the book. Um, and yes, there are, you know, external influences for sure, especially in the prodigy life, I would say. Um, in his case, he talks a lot about so many influences. Um, he came, as I mentioned earlier, from Paris. His parents are Chinese. He comes, they lived in Paris. He's born there. And then early in life comes over to the U.S. and plays for the president. And, you know, this does, this is an external event, but he's noticed for his skill his father was a musician and his mother was a singer, so there was a lot of cultivation of his abilities and his interest in music. Um, and so there are these external factors that play a role, often in parents or in mentors or teachers um, who take an interest and then propel them forward. And, you know, you think about Shirley Temple, too, with her child star career, which was really nurtured by her mother who had always been interested in dance and saw a very energetic young Shirley Temple and um, got her signed up for lessons and took her around and, and made her career happen. The stage um, mom. But then, yeah, <laughs> but, but yeah um, later in life, you know, her name, Shirley Temple, you can't argue that that did not help open doors, and it certainly did in her career as a diplomat, but she had to perform um, well as a diplomat to really succeed in that career. So, I think there's so many interesting elements to it, and, and um, there are different factors. There are internal and external factors that drive the successes. Well, I think it helped her when she went um, in into that, that work when she used the name Shirley Temple Black. Yes. I, I think it helped her, you know, make a dividing line between her adult career and, and the child actor. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, she talked often about her husband, um, Charlie Black, and how much, you know, he meant to her in terms of her life and how much her, her life as a as a wife and a mom during the period where she was raising her children was a critical part of her life that she felt was really important. So I agree with you. The Black established her as a, as a new person in a way, um, but still drawing on some of the same skills uh, that she did as a child and her ability to relate to people and interact with people. I think she did that remarkably well. There are, uh, what, 13 high achievers that you spotlight in this book. And, and once again, I want to mention the name because it's, uh, it, it doesn't roll off the tongue necessarily. Spark, How Genius Ignites from Child Prodigies to Late Bloomers. But of the 13 that you 
pick to look at. Um, what was the criteria? Because there, what are potentially hundreds that you could look at? Right. Um, so there's 12 main ones, and then the 13th is this Leonardo sort of. I, <laughs> I kind of think of him as the eternal genius. He's somebody who, in a way, is never ending quest for knowledge. It's, I feel like he just sparks throughout his life, really. And then you have the 12 that really represent different um, times of, of history, right? So you have Isaac Newton, who's in there, who, who was born in the 1642 era, and then all the way up to contemporary figures like Yo-Yo Ma and Sarah Blakely. I chose her because she's the CEO and entrepreneur who invented Spanx and is in the fashion world in that way, the shapewear world. I, I wanted somebody who was a woman who was young, who could bring some sort of vibrancy to the story and who would be kind of surprising in the lineup. And then, you know, other people um, who did different things. So I didn't want 12 chapters about artists or business people. I wanted everybody to represent a different field. Same way I did an Andy Warhol was a hoarder. I think that people enjoy learning about these different livelihoods. Um, so from Picasso, the artist, Shirley Temple, the child star, um, to the scientist Alexander Fleming, Eleanor Roosevelt, the humanitarian, um, Grandma Moses, the, the painter. So it's a real array of, of, uh, of people. And then most importantly, those different moments in life, I wanted to find a progression the, through the, the arc of, of life. So from very early childhood through teens, like with Bill Gates discovering computers and early 20s, Isaac Newton doing his famed work on optics and gravity and then you know 40 with my angelo uh, angelou roosevelt really blossoming in her 50s and 60s um in terms of her humanitarian work and then grandma moses you know first solo archer at age 80 um so that's kind of how i whittled it down i wanted i wanted a it took a while but <laughs> um i wanted a mix that was both interesting surprising and sort of fulfilling on at every age did you come across any um, examples of achievers who were, I, I guess for lack of a better phrase, one-hit wonders? They come up with some life-altering moment, uh, creation, and then they're kind of never heard from again? You know, that's, that's interesting. I think um, it would apply mainly to prodigies, because I think that's a case where Excuse me, you have people who are excelling early in life, um, you know, Bobby Fischer at chess or somebody like that who they make these yeah. huge names for himself themselves. There was an artist, um, and I'm, I'm forgetting her name off the top of my head, a young Chinese artist who was just a phenomenon um, early on in life and later on kind of disappears. And I think, you know, if you're a prodigy and you are held up to some level claim so early it's very hard to, to sustain that throughout somebody's life um, and so those kinds of scenarios can be difficult most most prodigies don't grow up to be geniuses they they kind of um, do find you know an endpoint to a certain degree certainly to be in the in the public light can be very challenging so yeah there are there are quite a few examples of those people I think in you know, what I tried to do in the book and spark is, is pick people in a way who managed to reinvent themselves because I find them so inspiring. One of the phrases I came across, um, you know, in, in uh, looking through notes about, about the book um, was the arc of genius. 
and why prodigies reach extraordinary heights in childhood while others peak later in life. Um, what about that, that arc of genius? Uh, how does that, did you get any sense for how that occurs? I mean, does somebody get hit with a bolt of lightning and wake up and say E equals MC squared? No. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny because I think when I, when I use the language the arc of genius, I'm thinking more in the big way of the arc of genius from yeah. oh. you know, Picasso and Shirley Temple all the way up to the, the later people in the book. Gotcha. But I also like thinking about it the way you're describing it, which is the arc of genius within a, you know, one particular life. Um, and I think it really does uh, vary from person to person. So, you know, I think about Isaac Newton. I mean, he started out on a farm or, you know, sort of in a farm land area, rural area in London. He's born, his father's um, gone, he doesn't have a father, his mother remarries and leaves him at the homestead with his grandparents, and he's supposed to go into the family business, you know, so the arc of his life is so changed by his intellect, because it becomes clear very early on that he is really smart, and he is not going to do very well tending the sheep or hurting anybody around. Um, He has to go on to study, um, to think, you know, use his mind rather than his hands, in his case, he's not made out to be the farmer or the land tender. And so in his life, you know, again, another of an adult steps in. It's, it's somebody at the school who, who knows he's got a lot of potential and brilliant ideas because these have shown up already. Um, and so they send him off to Cambridge. And then what's fascinating in his arc um, is that the plague hits in the 1600s, and he's just like we had been isolated with the pandemic. He's sent home. And he goes back to this family home in the rural part of um, England, and that's where these ideas come to the fore. I mean, he has the apple tree, the idea, the, the sort of space to think. And so, you know, and then he goes on to continue to excel at what he's working on, but it takes a while. You know, the gravity, he doesn't publish gravity immediately. He has to, he has to learn more about it. He thinks about it when he's... Um, in those years, those months in the, in the plague time, he's thinking about it, but he doesn't, you know, finesse it overnight. And there's the same thing with the, the arc, let's say Alexander Fleming, the, the scientist who discovers penicillin. He actually makes another discovery earlier in life. First, he, first he goes into um, medicine and science and, and is sent off to the war, talking about World War One, and he sees these war injuries, and these terrible infections, and he thinks, I need to figure out what is going on. How do you cure these infections. This is before antibiotics. And the, so the arc of his life is interesting because what he sees there influences the research he does and what he's looking for. But it doesn't, that penicillin moment doesn't happen until he's 47. So the arc isn't immediate. It's, it's, it's slow. Um, and there are fluky moments along the way. And, and that was a near mi- That was almost a near miss. Well, it could have easily been if it had been somebody else's Petri dish because if you think about what he saw, I mean, he was happening. on the verge of just throwing it out as a botched experiment. Well, he could have been, but in his case, somebody else might have done that. Not him, really. Though the story of him is that because he had seen this before, he discovered something called lysozyme, which mm. was a um, a different kind of um, anti-infection um, uh, enzyme. But he knew when he saw that that he had to pay attention. So you really, I think there were other people who would have thrown it out. I don't think. I don't think that Fleming would have done that. I think because of the preparation he had, he knew he had to pay attention to it. 
How did you get interested in human behavior? I, you know, I think I've just always been so fascinated by it. I thought a lot about studying psychology when I was young, and so I've, I've read a lot about it. I love the stories of people's lives and how people think and why they behave the way they do. It's just, um, I don't know, I've just always been interested in it, and I think psychology is fascinating, and I think science of the brain is fascinating. I think one of the great parts of studying the brain is that there's so much being learned every day, that, that we're just at the beginning of really understanding the brain and human behavior, and that makes it really exciting. Claudia, when you're putting a book like this one together, um, where you have these these biographies built into it, um, there's a lot written about most of these people. But are you able to, in the process of research, uh, get inside a little bit and find elements that really haven't been known about these people before? Yes, um, that's the really fun part of this book. And fortunately, I did a lot of the reporting before the pandemic. And so I was able to, you know, not just write about Isaac Newton, but go to his house and and, uh, Wolfsport Manor where he go into his bedroom where he came up with some of his ideas and look out the window and see the apple trees in the garden, Um, talk to family members of people like even Grandma Moses, her great-grandson, Will Moses is a folk artist himself, and I, I talked to him. I saw the house where he lives that she used to live in. Um, I read a lot of letters, journals, um, old memoirs that, thanks to the Internet, you can now call up and borrow online and just you know get lost in. And so I think even though, yes, there are certainly plenty of biographies written about any one of these people, um, there is always new information to learn and especially when you talk to family members um, or you interview the people themselves in the case of, you know, Bill Gates or Sarah Blakely and Sarah's family I interviewed. I mean, you get you get new information um, and you can always, you know, that's biographies come out all the time of the same person, multiple biographies, because people have different uh, views of, of how to see their lives. And so I think it's there's always something you, you can never get fully at somebody in just one book. So I think it's it's interesting to, to discover all of these new aspects. And how much do people's private lives influence what happens to them publicly and their their well-known achievements? And, and, and I hate to go back to Julia Child again, but here you have a situation where, you know, she becomes romantically involved. You know, she meets and marries a guy and he takes her to France and she has her first French meal. Um, how often is that the case where it's, it's, uh, something from their private life that leads to these very public, uh, achievements? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And, and you sort of spelled it out in Julia's case that that's true. Um, I think it often can be, but it certainly isn't always. So for example, you know, Maya Angelou, you think about her and as her life, her early adult life goes on, she needs to make money, she becomes a dancer and a singer, but then she starts to write poetry, and um, her private life is sort of the engagement she has with civil rights movements and the people she gets to know, Um, and in her case, it's, you know, one of those people she gets to know, James Baldwin, who takes her to dinner one night um, on her 40th, right around her 40th birthday, and and takes her to dinner, um, 
to an editor's house um, and to, to, a, to a group of people anyway, where she where she talks about her life. It wasn't the editor himself. It was somebody who knew the editor um, who heard the story of her life and called this editor Loomis, who, you know, says and says to him, you need to you need to sort out Maya Angelou's memoir. You need to get her to write about it. So this was a very kind of a spark moment. And it was a personal moment. It was a moment where she was just having dinner with some people um, that took her to um, this co- collaboration with an editor that lasted for decades. And she writes her first memoir and goes on to write many more. So there are quite a few really interesting stories of personal kinds of um, interests or anecdotes, experiences. Peter Mark Roger of the thesaurus, you know, it was a personal interest in words that ultimately he came back to. It was a childhood passion. So there's there's a lot of that. It's 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 fascinating. Um, not in every case, but but in many cases, there is a connection. You know, Claudia, I'm always fascinated by the road not taken. Were there some people you looked at and and didn't include in the book? Oh, there were so many people I had. You know, lots. <laughs> uh, you know, for art, you could write about Van Gogh or um, you know, writing Sylvia Plath or. Um, music, Mozart or his sister, who was also an incredibly talented prodigy, um, you know, any number of people in any number of categories. And so what I tried to do was just pick the ones whose stories I found most compelling, who had the most um, personal information available that I could read and, and yeah. grab hold of or um, family members I could interview and try to come up with the best, best mix. But you could write three or four volumes on the same idea. <laughs> so what is next for you, Claudia? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I'm just working on some more stories, actually, that come out of the book, because I think there's so much in here that I'd like to unravel further in some of the um, chapters. So I'm going to hope to do some more magazine writing about some of the people. And I've got a, I've got a few ideas, but, you know, they always say, don't, don't say too early, because you can change <laughs> yourself. Um, so I've got a few. Fair enough. <laughs> Yeah, I've got a few ideas, and I'm I'm curious actually to hear from readers about the short biography approach and whether I do another book sort of similar to that or do something that's more of a um, deep dive into maybe one person or one subject. So we'll see. <laughs> well, to come. well, Claudia, we're we're almost out of time, but as as you know um, from being here before, I always uh, want to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work past present and future certainly uh about the uh about the new book um spark how genius ignites from child prodigies to late bloomers published by national geographic um do you have a website claudia yes i have a website and that's really the best place to learn more about me and also some of my other work and it's it's claudia kalb and the last name is spelled k-a-l-b dot com um, it has links. You can buy the book really anywhere at any independent bookstore, on Amazon, on other bookstores online. Um, and then I do some social media. I'm not the best at it, <laughs> but um, I do my best. Uh, so I'm on Twitter at Claudia Kalb and newly on Instagram at Claudia Kalb Writer. But I think the website is really the best place to start for, for information. Well, Claudia, thanks again. It was uh, it was just as much fun this time talking with you as it was the last time, and I hope we get a chance to do it again when one of those ideas uh, becomes a reality that you can talk about. Oh, that would be great. Thank you, Tom. It's really great to talk with you. All right. Take care. 
You too. Bye-bye. Bye. And once again, uh, that was Claudia Kalb. She is, uh, let's see, how do, how do I want to put this, an award-winning author and journalist. She is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Andy Warhol Was a Hoarder Inside the Minds of History's Great Personalities. And now the new book is uh, called Spark. How Genius Ignites, From Child Prodigies to Late Bloomers. And we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program. Wash my hands. I don't touch my face. At home, shelter in place, social distance, don't go to work. I wear a mask and gloves, I stay away from church. I avoid old folks, and should I sneeze? I do it in my elbow or up my sleeve. Six feet apart, that is the room. And I pray for the day the kids can go back to school. I'm washing my hands like a raccoon with OCD. I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS, and the BBC. I've taken down all my mirrors, and I'm sick of what I see. Two more weeks of quarantine will be the death of me. The death of me. I risk a trip. To buy TV and a few things more. But when I get there, all I can find is 16 honey buns and some mad dog wine. I'm washing my hands. Like a raccoon with OCD I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS, and the BBC I've taken down all my mirrors Cause I'm sick of what I see Yeah, two more weeks of this quarantine's gonna be the death of me They say this is war, but we don't have to storm Omaha Beach or Porkchop Hill. We just lay here on the couch and watch TV. I'd rather volunteer for a high-risk commando raid to parachute into Wuhan and find that little fellow that ordered that bad soup. I know I'm talking out of my head, saying crazy stuff over and over like, yes, dear, yes, dear. 
At breakfast, I meant to say, honey, please pass me the pepper. Well, what slipped out was, you crazy woman, you've ruined my life. <laughs> of course, I immediately apologized as <laughs> soon as I regained consciousness. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is... This is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque riverway. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. 
The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Summer Program.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. going, Dr. Zarkov? Aaron and I discovered a room under the hall of atomic power, which stored scientific apparatus. With the help of slaves, we constructed my newest invention, didn't we, Baron? Yes, we did, friend Zarkov. I only hope this bull-headed monarch hasn't delayed us too long with his arguing. There isn't much time left to save the city. We are tipping over. How much further do we have to descend? We will be below the foundation in just a moment. What is this remarkable discovery, Wizard of the Earth? You shall see. You shall see. We are here. Hurry out, everyone. Hold fast to my hand, Dale. Oh, Flash, do you think Dr. Zarkov will be able to save us? I know he will do his best. There is my invention. What is that massive tubes and wires? This electrical machine is an atomic light solidifier. It will strengthen the beam? Yes. Keep everybody back, Baron. I must have room to work. Stand back, everybody. Baron, do you think this machine will work? Be quiet. Professor Zarkov is throwing the switch. What is that weird bluish light? New rays made from the Adamsdale. Why, the city seems to be getting back on an even keel. By Pao, so it is. How is it working, friend Zarkov? Splendid so far. The light beams supporting the city are becoming stronger and stronger. Then the city is saved? The city is saved. By Pao, he has done it. All of you are free. Why, Dale, you're crying. I'm so happy we're saved. Zarkov, come here. He said he could do it, and he did. Yes, King Voltan, you summoned me? Zarkov, you shall be my head scientist. Voltan, this is more than I expect. I am grateful, deeply grateful, and appreciate the honor. Flash and Dale. Yes, impressive majesty. What is it, King Voltan? 
As proof of our future friendship, I shall give you a royal wedding tomorrow, and tonight we shall have a banquet to celebrate it. Are you having a good time, Dale? A wonderful time, Flash. It hardly seems possible that we shall be married tomorrow. I don't dare believe it until we are actually being married. Now, you mustn't feel that way, Dale. It's just nerve. Well, my friends, tomorrow will be the big day. I'm not so sure. Dale is just worrying about nothing, Baron. Hmm, it's almost tomorrow, Dale. What can happen now? During the excitement of the certain destruction of the city, the Princess Aura disappeared. Oh, is that all that worries you? I should think you would be glad she is not here. I am. Well, well, lovebirds, are you enjoying yourselves? Oh, yes, thank you, impressive majesty. Majesty? Majesty? Yes, what is it? The airship of Ming the Merciless is approaching the city. This means trouble. What did I tell you? There will be no wedding for us tomorrow. We will die fighting! No, Voltan, let us take our chances on escaping. Give us a rocket ship. It's no use, Flash. They were damaged when the city tilted. His Universal Majesty, Emperor of Mongo, Ming the Merciless. And Princess Aura. Now there will be trouble. Steady, Dale, darling. There will be a way out of this. Greetings and welcome, Emperor Ming. So, Voltan, you have become friends with the prisoners. Turn over this Earthman to my torturers. And to me, delivered my promised bride, Dale Arden. I command it. No, father. You promised Flash Gordon to me as my share of the spoils. Hold, Ming. By the ancient laws of Mongo, by the sacred laws of the great Pau, who is all wise, I call for a tournament of death. A tournament? And this fellow Flash Gordon would enter? Yes. A tournament. Then all the planet would see him fail and die. So be it. Between four mountains nestled a massive bowl-shaped arena toward which most of Mongo pulls the never-ending streams to the tournament of death in which all of the contestants but one will meet death. And Flash Gordon is going to enter. He and Dale occupy seats of honor in Volton's box. Princess Aura enters the arena on a golden throne carried by six blue dragon men. Here comes Aura in all her glory. She is vile, treacherous, and cruel. <laughs> that, my boy, is a beauty. Oh, I don't know about that. Here comes Drewbridge, king of the lion men. The dragon men are frightened by the lions. They've dropped the princess. Ah, stay where you are, my boy. Prince Baron is already picking her up. She seems to be smiling at him. I wonder what she's saying. Prince Baron, you've saved my life. Why did you do it after the way I treated you? Because, my princess, you are a woman, a beautiful woman, and I can no longer deny the fact that I love you. But whatever it is she's saying, I wish she would get interested in somebody else and leave you alone, Flash. The tournament is about to begin, Flash. There is your horse. Here, take this sword, my boy. It's the one with which I became King of the Hawkmen. Take it and justify my faith in you. And my faith, too. Thanks, darling. And thank you, Volton. I will do my best. 
In another box, Prince Baron reaches a decision. Zarkov, I am going to enter the tournament and win back my kingdom and Ming's daughter, Princess Aura, for my bride. Do not be a fool, Prince Baron. Why do you risk being killed? Wish me luck, my friend. I go to do battle. It is a battle royale with every horseman for himself. As the battle rages around him, Flash is beset by two yellow guardsmen. He vanquishes one, and as he is attacked by the other, he falls from his horse. Before the yellow man can drive home in death and lust, a masked rider saves Flash, and the first great test of the Tournament of Death ends. A banquet is held for the survivors. Are you sure you're all right, Flash? Why, of course, Dale. If it hadn't been for that masked fighter, you would be dead now. Oh, why did you enter this horrible tournament? To win freedom, a kingdom, and what's more important, you. Look, the masked fighter is with Princess Aura. Ah, the masked champion. Are you a criminal fearing arrest, or a noble fearing recognition? Blue blood or red, my lady, it will flow in the arena just as freely for your amusement. Here, wear the scarf as a token, but do not stain it with your blood. Fair lady, a kiss from your gorgeous lips, and I would face the legions of Pau. Insolent one! <laughs> I would have you tortured. You cannot punish the living dead of the tournament. Goodbye, you beautiful devil. I go to fight for your hand. That masked champion, I swear I know his voice. The call has sounded. I must go back to the fight. Goodbye, Dale. Goodbye, and good luck, my darling. Oh, King Voltan, when will this awful tournament end? I know it seems horrible to you, little bird, but it is better that Flash should die honorably in the field of battle than at the hands of Ming's torturers. If he wins this final event, he will be a king, and you will be his queen. The trumpets blow and the last contestants line up. Two by two, they mount the sky rope stretched over a flaming pool to joust with swords, and one after another, they are eliminated by death. Finally, only Flash Gordon and the masked champion are left. Flash loses his balance and falls down toward the flaming pool, but his hand catches hold of the rope and he hangs on. The masked champion, thrown off balance, all but falls, but saves himself by grasping Flash Gordon's legs. His mask falls off, revealing Prince Baron. The crowd demands that both men shall live, and they are brought before Vulton and Ming the Merciless. None of your trickery, Ming. You will proclaim them both kings. So be it. But I shall choose their kingdoms to Prince Baron and my daughter, Aura, I give the kingdom of the forest to Flash Gordon and the Earth Girl. I give the kingdom of the caves. You fiend! You know neither kingdom has been conquered. True, Voltan. But these are brave men. Let them try. They can hold their weddings in their own kingdoms. If they live that long. This concludes our recreation of the first four episodes of the 1935 radio serial Flash Gordon. This series was recorded in the Tom Sumner Program studio featuring the voice of Sean Cantwell as Flash Gordon and Volton. Rhonda Groves Young played Dale Arden and Princess Aura. Randy Zimmerman played Zarkoff and Thun. 
Prince Baron was played by Dane Walling. Listen for more adaptations of old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Tom Sumner saying thanks for listening. Pilots, get off of my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here! It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on! Go on, get out of here!